Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. As you all know by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code JustBaseball and you will get up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. One, download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code JustBaseball. Two, deposit at least $10 and place your first wager on any game. Three, you will receive up to $1,500 in bonus bets if your bet loses. Just make sure you use bonus code JustBaseball when you sign up. Disclaimer, BetMGM.com for terms and conditions and must be 21 or older to wager. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., New York, or Ontario. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in Colorado, D.C., Illinois, Indiana, Kansas, Louisiana, Maryland, Mississippi, New Jersey, Nevada, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Tennessee, Virginia, West Virginia, and Wyoming. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY to 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona, 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts, 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa, and 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget... If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code JustBaseball and get your $1,500 first bet offer today. New week, happy winter meetings week. We finally get some action. Hopefully, fingers Hopefully. crossed, I'm knocking on my wood desk. Jack, our I'm Just Baseball show presented by BetMGM on uh, Monday, December 4th. We got Walker jumping back on. Walker Buehler makes his first appearance of the offseason to talk about the free agent cycle so far and what could be to come. He was also the Dodgers rep in the MLB Players Association, so he may have a unique perspective on the winter meetings that you know you may not get and i also kind of have overarching questions about the winter meetings like what happens are are they in like dr evil's lair the entire time what's going on but you're going out there yeah i i just i picture something along the lines of like all of the executives in one ballroom the doors shut and john Heyman has his ear like up against it trying to make out like whatever he could hear inside of of said room so do you think it's a big rectangular table that looks like the college football playoff committee where they're all just sitting around staring at each other and yelling, no, Florida State needs to be in, Florida State needs to be in? Yeah, that that was actually funny too, seeing the actual committee desk as well. Uh, I see it's something along those lines to me. But yeah, you know, I don't I'm excited to just kind of see how it all 
works. Like I'm not really going there to go get scoops or, you know, put my ear to the door and try to find things out. I'm there to meet people, connect. And, um, you know, if we, we find something out here and there, sure. But, you know, just kind of just to be boots on the ground. And I'm looking forward to that. Being able to answer this question as to like what actually goes down, you know, at the hotel and, and all that good stuff. And of course, I am unreasonably excited for the Rule 5 draft. That's like my Super Bowl every year. So That's I know you are too, but uh, it's it's a lot of fun. I know there's a minor league job fair and that's it. That's all I know about the winter meetings. I know it's a minor league job fair. And then I know behind closed doors, a lot of stuff happens and every news and media outlet has somebody there. So if the stove gets really hot, don't put your ear to the door and don't put the front of your hand, your palm back of the hand, back of the hand. They taught us that in elementary school. Yeah. If you sense fire, do that. I don't know how hot the door is in regards to Juan Soto. And that's the one thing that I think we want to talk about before Walker jumps on. Juan Soto and Yankee talks have a, a, allegedly stalled. Is that Heyman that said? No, it that was, was that was Martin. Well, so Heyman said something. What He used a funny word. It was like a quote, like they like resent the idea. or It was, it was something funny like that. Like that, a word of just like disgust. The idea of trading Drew Thorpe. I think in addition to Michael King, uh, Drew Thorpe, the the top pitching prospect, if you ask us, uh, in the Yankee system. Uh, on top of that, Michael King, I mean, I think people really underestimate how good he has been when healthy and how good he was coming off of the injury at the end of the year, which I do think really helps his value. I, I wanted to talk about this and lead off with it because you kind of saw a mixed bag of like Martino, Andy Martino, uh, who's with what? News? No, no, not SNY. that's Tim SNY. He was kind of laying out pretty specifically what the package you know, reportedly looked like, which was Michael King, uh, Drew Thorpe, Randy Vasquez, which is another solid pitching prospect, potentially um, Johnny Brito, which he was looking pretty good before he went down with an injury. And then a couple other prospects in addition to that, with that deal also including Trent Grisham. But I think at you know whatever money he's going to cost, it's kind of a wash. You could maybe say slight value. He's worth one top 30 guy. Sure. Uh, but I, what I think is interesting is you got a mixed bag of some people like the Yankees need to feel like they're losing something to get, you know, a generational talent. Yeah, sure. But also the Padres need to realize that they have one year of this guy to to be offering out here. And it's not like it's one year at 5 million. It's one year at 25 to maybe 27 million. I know Spa Track had him estimated at 27 million in his final year of arbitration. Yes, that's below the market value, Jack, but it's not like it's half the market value of what he would be. It's, you know, eight, 10 million less than what he would get, you know, on a long term deal. AAV wise, probably closer to eight. How much is this guy really worth for one year? That's the thing. I'm, I'm so excited about what Juan Soto is going to do potentially with a short porch and right. But Michael King's a rotation piece. Uh, Drew Thorpe is our number 78 overall prospect in the game, potential rotation piece, and then a lot of other pieces as well. It is also Juan Soto. Where are you at on this whole thing? Uh, I am probably more of the latter thinking that you have, where it's one year at $27 million. And, and what the Padres are asking for is to entirely deplete the reserve tank of Yankee starting pitching. It's oh, ridiculous. And kicking cash, by the way, too. And yeah. kicking cash to the Padres because they need it. My thing is, okay, the Padres realize that they have no starting pitching depth. The Yankees really struggled with starting pitching depth this year. That's why you saw yeah. so many Brito starts, so many Vasquez starts. So what does San Diego want to do? 
we'll give you this generational outfielder for one year at a very high price point at top 10 price point in baseball, maybe top 15. And in return, you give us plan B, C, D, E, and F in your starting rotation. Yeah, That doesn't fly. And the Yankees would need to build back up with a Lance Lynn, with a Kyle Gibson, with a bunch of one-year deals to provide that safety blanket. And those guys are already off the board. And those guys are going to fly off the board to small market teams where they may bet, where they may get a two-year deal. So I, I do think that those talks skewed heavily in favor of San Diego. I'd be pushing back if I was New York as well. Yep. What I will say is Thorpe or King can't hold you up from a year of Juan Soto. Thorpe and King can hold you up from a year of Juan Soto. That's a bar. Because I'm with you. And again, and I know it sounds crazy. Like, oh, we're talking about Drew Thorpe and Michael King. Both of those guys together, I agree. Like that, because these are two teams trying to win right now, right? The Padres don't get it twisted. They're trading Juan Soto because they have to financially and because they don't necessarily need him and they can piece things together. Of course, you're going to be better with Soto, but you got to figure out how to address the pitching. You got to figure out how to address some of these other departments. They could use those savings to go get Jung Hoo Lee, which yeah. by the way, go check out that piece on justbaseball.com, our latest dive into you know the one of the more exciting international free agents we've had in some time like that makes a lot of sense for them in terms of reallocating their their resources and getting a decent return but you know for the Yankees you look at the rotation Cole Locke Rodon you got to ride that you know as as long as you're going to ride you know and you just hope it's going to work uh but then outside of there your Michael King's kind of locked in to be there three then you're leaning on a hopefully like Nestor Cortez being healthy Clark yep. Schmidt maybe being involved like that's a drop off. I, I think a healthy Cortez is is really a solid middle it's rotation. It's a three. It's a three. Yeah, but that's a big if, right? You want him to be healthy. If Cortez is hurt, and you traded King Schmidt, can't be your three. And I know they they're gonna maybe gonna go out and get some other guys. And but if you're taking on more money, because you'd be getting Soto, you'd be taking on whatever Grisham's owed. You're kicking them cash as well. The Yankees are going to be up at that luxury tax marker too. They're not going to be able to go get impactful pitching. They're not going to be able to sign an arm that's as good as a Michael King, um, which sounds crazy, but look at the numbers. And then look at the numbers even after injury. He's everything you know. Nick Martinez was for them, but a full notch above, right? He's a higher quality Nick Martinez. So yes, you've got to give something up and they're not giving up the Martian, right? You're not giving up Jason Dominguez. You're not giving up some of your main, main core pieces. But yeah. I think the Padres also have to realize if you want talent, you know, upside, then you're not going to get the proximity to, right? You can't get all of their close proximity prospects or young big leaguers and and build a package just around that. I know that the Padres want to win now. I admire that, but I don't think the Yankees are in a place where they can just give up all of their close to big league ready pitching. People might say, oh yeah, but they've got Hampton, uh, Chase Hampton, who's another really exciting right, right handed arm. They've got Will Warren. They've got these other guys. Sure. But none of them I think Hampton might have as much upside, but none of them have the proximity and the upside that Drew Thorpe has right now on top of the Michael King. So I think you hit the nail on the head. Can't be both of them. So pick one. And then maybe you give up some higher upside, lower level talent. And the Padres have to deal with the fact that not all the guys that they're going to get in this package, presumed package, are going to be guys that can help them in 2024. Yep. That just has to be the way it is when, when you're getting one year of a guy. All right. Walker's in the waiting room. So... Uh, give me the team. Give me no explanation. What team is Juan Soto on in 2024? Yankees. That's it. Okay. Blue Jays for me. Here's Walker Bueller. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place by working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices. 
by developing better technologies, we keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate megastores led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. The valiant return of a Mr. Walker Bueller. Aram is wearing the uh, Bueller Family Foundation golf outing, given hat, free merch on Aram's head. How we doing? How was the uh, how was the golf event from your perspective? How many hours of sleep per night since then? And uh, what's new with you, man? We haven't talked in like three weeks. Yeah, no, things are good, man. The golf tournament went good. Uh, ran pretty smooth first time at that course. So um, always little stuff to figure out, but. Uh, you know, the team that, that helps me out with it's pretty good and, and made it pretty easy on me. So uh, we were happy with it. Obviously, great turnout. We, we put out that video of kind of some of the highlights, some of the big names there. I'm sure you had a familiarity of the, with the golf game of, of several of these guys or maybe most of the guys that came out and supported. But did anybody surprise you one way or another with their golf ability um, at this at this event? Yeah, I mean, I hadn't played. I haven't played with all the guys that came. I've never played with Sonny or uh, Casimir, but uh, I, the biggest surprise was that Bobby Miller plays left-handed. That was a that was a shocking one for me. Mm-hmm. And uh, Seager right-handed. Yeah, yeah, I've seen Corey play, uh, but yeah, I was I was shocked. And also the the picture we put up of me and Bobby, he looks like he's about eight feet tall. Yeah. So that was a little shocking. I guess I haven't spent as much time around him as I thought. Cause I was like, what the hell is this? But he was probably on a hill. Had to have been, I think. Had to have been. Um, I was in the Dominican last week and I saw Fran Mil Reyes standing next to Jose Ramirez. And uh-huh. that's kind of what you look like next to Bobby Miller. How do you feel? Yeah, about that I don't, game? I mean, I don't like it, but it is what it is. I, you know, I did put it out there myself. So can't be too hard on, on me and, and the people that helped me with that stuff. But, uh, it wasn't the most flattering for me. Got you. Um, how you feeling? I saw what on Instagram you you put out a video of uh, you throwing again. Was that yeah. at UK's complex? No, so I typically work out at UK and, and throw over there some, but that was at a an indoor place that's been around Lexington for a long time. That um, you know we used to play winter league games and stuff. They've got like 180 foot wall field for little league and stuff like that. So uh, they let me go out there and throw usually. Nice. So what does the uh, kind of the training pattern look like now as you know, you were at one point kind of working towards that potential return at the end of the year, then you slow that down. So mm-hmm. now you have a lot more time to build back up, but you also want to keep that momentum rolling to a degree too. You know, what does it look like up until, you know, what we just saw with the most recent you know video of you throwing and then kind of what's the plan to, to get yourself you know, ready to go for, for pitchers and catchers reporting while, you know, yeah. also still, you know, not pushing yourself too far. Yeah, I mean, I got I got two months off, so that was nice after kind of, you know, working through the rehab process. And, um, you know, I, I remember from my first one that next year after you take some time is, is when I felt significantly better. And, 
you know, I think it's seemingly the case so far, obviously, you know, in that video, it's not like I'm on the mound yet or anything like that or, or doing anything crazy, but kind of slow build back into it. And, and then, you know, I, I think we're going to kind of play by ear how we're going to handle the innings limit probably. Um, so if that's building only to a certain point at first or starting a little bit later, I don't know. Yeah. We're kind of, you know, I, I think we'll know more after the meetings and, and seeing, you know, who else is going to be on our team and, and kind of go from there. And, and, you know, if there's a necessity for six man or, or whatever, um, you know, there's some different options, but, you know, I'll be at spring training February 8th, ready to roll and, and start getting, getting going. That's so like fun to hear. That's gotta be so fun for you to say. <laughs> it's weird. It, it, you know, I, I guess it's, you know, what's the old saying, you don't know what you got till it's gone kind of thing, but yeah. to kind of get back to, to normal and, um, you know, fly to spring training with, with a pair of glove and cleats and, and know that I'll be able to get on a field is, is a little bit different than last year. hundred percent. As you kind of alluded to with the, the innings limit and things like that. And again, I'm sure that, like you said, it'll kind of, you'll figure that out as you go. Well, is, is that a different process for each type of situation for each, you know, organization and pitcher? Like I've always been fascinated by, you know, what the number is that they come up with and why, you know, of course yeah. there's different reasons for different guys in different circumstances, but generally speaking, coming off of a, of a surgery like yours, you know, what is that process like in terms of, assigning that that innings limit because i feel like people just see a random number and sometimes they just they don't know but they're just like that's the number yeah i mean i think not only is it different teams and different players it's different doctors and, and how they want it handled right and, yeah um obviously i have a pretty good relationship with with our team doctor and, uh you know we've kind of talked through it a little bit and and some guys have got a percentage of of what you've thrown in the past some guys will just kind of hard number it and you know the first go around i threw you know, probably 20-ish innings that year when I got back and then about 100 the next year. So, um, you know, I was also 23 or, or whatever it was. And, you know, I've, I've thrown 220-some innings in a year before. So um, probably operate off of that in, in some way. And, you know, I imagine it'll be more than 100, but, you know, I'm probably not going to lead the lead the league in innings this year, I don't think. You you threw what two hundred and seven innings in twenty one two hundred five two hundred seven something. Yeah, in there. It was two hundred seven regular season, and then I made four playoff starts. So that was it was around two twenty five, I think. Okay, so you throw two twenty five. You're done in the twenty twenty one postseason, like end of October. Um, timeline wise, did you start throwing in twenty twenty one, beginning of September? Is this earlier or later than you would typically start? Um, I think after, well, after 20, I only took a week off. And then after 21, I took like a month or so off just because the workload was kind of there and, and I needed a little, little blow. But, you know, I think having had this surgery a second time makes it even worse, but, but guys with surgeries on their elbows, they're not, it's not just like pick up a ball and start throwing. You've got to kind of ease, ease that elbow back into it. And, um, you know, mine specifically, you know, I don't want to bore anyone, but like, there's just not quite as much room for like the early cranky inflammation in there as, mm -hmm. as a, you know, an elbow that just came out of, you know, a natural elbow. Right. So, um, it just gets a little cranky, but we always kind of get it figured out. It's just, it's a different deal right now. I feel really good. Actually. It's just, once we start really getting into intensity and, and banging things around in there, it, it can get a little frustrated. 
I've noticed like cold tubs kind of taken over the the sports world. Oh, yeah. I, I mean, I know it's always been a thing, but I don't know. I, maybe you can add to this a little bit, uh, especially in the prospect podcast that we have. Like every time I'll have a different minor league you're on and a different organization, yeah. I'll say, you know, what's been one thing that you've kind of changed with your routine this year, especially most of these guys are going from 50 games to 150. And I can't believe how much the cold tub has come up over the last year compared to anything I used to hear yep. before. Are, are you seeing that too in, in your world? And, and on top of that, have you have you given it any thought or effort in terms of uh, that recovery track of, of being able to go freeze yeah. yourself? Um, I mean, I was, I was doing it four days a week, um, pretty much all summer at a place in Phoenix. Um, and that, I guess, you know, kind of circling back to the charity event, that's kind of where we're, headed in terms of trying to get back to first responders and providing sauna cold tub type of stuff oh, yep, yep, yep. for the, for the anti-anxiety piece of it, even, you know, as well as the the physical part of that kind of job. So um, yeah, I was, you know, I have one at my house. I have one in my house in LA. Um, I think everyone can credit Joe Rogan with, with making that kind of part of the, the culture now is, is getting in these cold tubs, but, you know, I think you go into any baseball facility in the country, you're going to see the big, big metal tubs for, for ice baths and stuff like that. And, you know, it's been part of our game for a long time. I just think now it's probably sauna over the hot tub, like the hot tubs aren't going anywhere and, and guys still use those a lot. Yeah. Um, but for me, it's, it's kind of transitioned into the, the more extreme versions of sauna and cold plunge as opposed to hot tub, cold tub, which is what we've kind of always done. Do you have Weird. any advice? I was just saying, do you have any advice for those? Because I, well, one, I want to do it, but those that are listening that may want to try to get into it, like it's tough when you put the toes in at first. And you yeah. Try to get, um, breathe, like I'm sure, but any, any, uh, any tips? Yeah. I met a guy on Phoenix named Michael Ravella who runs the, the place that I was going to out there called Optimize. And uh, I was not very good at it at all and like didn't want to get in it, didn't like it. Uh, his big thing is to take a full breath before like hold like take a breath in and hold it and don't let that out until you're in there in there so uh that helps i also think some of the stuff i've listened to or seen or read or whatever basically says that you can leave your hands out it's not super important that your hands go in there um so that kind of changes the complexion of it a little bit for me it makes it a lot easier to stay in there for a long time um, and then the other big thing is trying to get that water as close to the brain stem as possible is the other thing I've heard. So you've got to really like get that <laughs> sucker down in there, which is not the easiest thing to do either. But I, I will say the more and more you do it, the easier it gets. Like I just did it for the first time in probably three weeks the other, yesterday and it was miserable, but I know if I did it today, it would be so much easier and, and so on and so forth. And, um, yeah, it's just one of those like habits that you can get into that, um, you know, I believe in it and, and there's, you know, I don't think it's to say I believe in it. I think it's kind of wrong. Like there's a lot of evidence that it's super, yeah. super helpful. And it, it's just getting over that, that little hurdle, I guess. Yeah. We're going to jump into the winter meetings in a moment, but two parter before that, uh, your guy, Theo Vaughn was maybe the best <laughs> guest picker on game day this year. And they've had some good ones. Uh, I need you to assess Theo's performance. And then did the committee get it right? Yes or no, Bama in Florida state out. Yeah, Theo was good on there. My my favorite line he summed up Georgia and said, you know, he's from a rabies area or something. Uh, no, he's he's funny man, but I think I don't it was know like Matt Title. Yeah. 
did he get a single pick right? I don't know. I haven't gone back and and checked. My favorite was um he was saying something about the Big 12 title game and then Lee Corso turned over to him and said, "What'd you say?" Like cuz he went on yeah. a 30 second tangent. It was just ridiculous. Yeah, I know he took uh he took Georgia. He took he said that George Kittle was going to come and play for Iowa, I heard. Mhm. Uh trying to help them score, which they didn't. Kind of the weirdest line in the history of college football yesterday with the Point five under hitting, which was yes. interesting. Uh, but no, he was good. You know, I guess in the playoff thing, it's kind of hard. For, like, I don't know if any of those four teams take Alabama out because they just played. Like, I think Georgia would be favored over the other three teams. Um, and probably Florida State, I would imagine as well. So, I don't know. The, the football playoff thing is interesting. I do – it is kind of cool that this year is probably the most controversial and it's the last of the four teams. Yeah. Like next year there will be like really no questioning that kind of stuff. Um, but yeah, it is, it is weird. Georgia not being in there. I, I mean, I understand it. Alabama beat them late in the year and, and at the right time and blah, 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 but um, kind of interesting. I, the, the only thing I can think of too, just from like an athlete perspective i was trying to imagine what it must feel like to to be a florida state player right now and i can't because i never played at that level but for you just thinking about that like you do everything you can do you win all the games you're supposed to win and at the end you still are told you're not good enough i i can't really imagine what that must feel like as a player right well that was there what the first undefeated power five conference champion ever make the playoffs so um you know we've obviously never seen this before but you know, I think there's some other undefeated conference champions this year too. I think who's at Liberty maybe went undefeated and won their yeah. won their thing. So I think what's going to be kind of interesting though now is these conferences are getting bigger and badder and like that's just gonna it, it's getting even more top heavy and, and light on the bottom. And it's just weird that you're gonna like I don't know. I don't know how to explain it. I guess because who's coming? Texas is coming. So that would be two SEC teams, and you can argue Georgia. So, like, you start looking at the – what is it going to be, 12 teams? You start looking at the potential for, like, four SEC teams to be in the playoff and because they're just going to be big, big conferences. And, um, you know, I think we're going to start running into a lot of undefeated, smaller conference champions not even getting in the 12 team because of, of kind of – the size and scope of, of what the SEC is going to become and Michigan, Ohio state, both rolling. Like you start putting together the list. There's just not a ton of room. I saw something yesterday that it was like the top 12 teams in the AP poll. The only non SEC or big 10 team as of next year was Florida state at yeah. four. Everybody else was in the SEC or the big 10 moving forward in 2024. So it's going to be weird. It's going to be awesome for college baseball because you've got yeah. some heavyweights coming into some solid conferences like the SEC, different beast. You get Texas baseball in the SEC, that's going to feel massive. But you know, you, you get an Oregon to to spice up the Big Ten a little bit, which leaves you know something to be desired occasionally in a UCLA, yeah, UCLA and a USC. Too, right? Yeah, exactly. So yeah, the travel, the travel thing is going to be interesting on that. Just that's the one part that stinks. Yeah, like having gone through that, and and even the difference between us playing Tennessee three hours away from Nashville or when we played Missouri or Florida where you're taking sleeper buses and stuff like that. And then, 
you know, we, we did a West coast trip every year and it's just a different thing in terms of like how those trips really work and the time that they take and the classes that you miss and blah, blah, blah. And so to be doing that, like cross coast trip every week is going to be, it's going to be difficult. I, I think in some way that will be good for like those guys learning how to play on the road and stuff like that in terms of pro ball. But, um, it's just a it's a lot of miles man for for kids that are in class and doing all that stuff it's going to be a big pull for them and they were talking about and that was the thing i was thinking about too because of course baseball you know the effect on the baseball programs is the least of these schools worries because this is led by the money in football but of course that's what we're going to be thinking about and i i saw a couple other people that cover college baseball and everything talking about uh, the idea that there will probably be a lot more neutral site series and things like that. How do you feel about that? Because, you know, especially playing in a place where, you know, you guys had a home field advantage, right. And, and, and a lot of these sec schools on the road, that's a different kind of spectacle too. Yeah. And, and, you know, you get a little bit of that shock of, wow, yeah. we're, we're in this environment, like an Ole Miss or something like that. Uh, it, what do you think of the neutral site aspect of things too? Because yes, it does, limit the miles and allow these kids to to try to keep up with school. But at the same time, that kind of defeats the purpose of college sports in a lot of ways too. Yeah. I mean, I, we played in the, in the Dodger town classic, my junior year where we played at, we played at USC and at UCLA and then one game at, uh, at Dodger stadium. And, and I know they do the one in Houston and um, you know, there's some cool stuff about that. And, and Vandy's gone and played in the spring break tournament or whatever the early season tournament in Phoenix while we've been in spring training and stuff. So it's definitely something that's been a part of college baseball. And, and I, I do think that be, playing in conference like that will be a little interesting um, just because it is cool, man. You go to play at Vanderbilt or UK or you or LSU or whatever, so that you play at home at a cool place. And then you get to go and play at Ole Miss, you get to go and play, you know, all these other places. Like I, I still, one thing that really sucked about my career was I never got to play at LSU. Like we never played there. Right. So just kind of luck of the draw and was what it was, but that's one of those things that when you commit to an SEC school, that's like, you know, your parents are booking flights and shit to go see you play at Ole Miss. And, and I remember watching a video the Wednesday before we went to Ole Miss about what's going to happen, what it looks like, what the crowd is going to be like, what's the chance they're going to do all that kind of stuff, just because it is a, a thing that you have to kind of prepare for and, and get ready for. Yeah. And you don't want to issue a four pitch walk in college station. That was like the no. cardinal rule. No, I never, we never played there either. Damn. I know that stinks. All right. Pivoting to the winter meetings. If we answer this for dummies, because we are kind of dummies. Aram and I were talking about this and like, I think my perspective on the winter meetings all the way up until last year, the year before, and I think so many people's perspective on the winter meetings is, okay, every exec gets in a dark room and they, you know, have this weird like Wall Street stock trader type thing. And then everybody's kind of there trying to listen. What are the winter meetings actually like from a player perspective? How much communication are you having with Glaze, your agent? How much are you having with the Dodgers? Like what goes on at the winter meetings? Um, I mean, obviously having never like gone myself, right. But having gone through it as a rep and stuff like that, there, it's kind of, you know, I saw a, an interview with Friedman the other day and he was talking about, it's like the three days a year that they don't have to worry about anything except trying to make the team better. Um, 
which is cool. Like I can imagine that's a really kind of cool environment to have, you know, 10 or 12 guys from every organization. So whatever, 300 guys that can make an impact in terms of helping their team or making trades or shaking a hand and, and creating a relationship that, Hey, if you trade this guy in the season, you know, at the deadline, like we're interested, blah, blah, blah. Like uh, I think in terms of like an inside baseball perspective, it'd be a kind of pretty cool room to be a, you know, a fly on the wall at, but um, from a non-free agent player perspective, it's like, like my agent will not be calling me at any point during that. Like I'm not a free agent. I have no, <laughs> I have no bearing this next week. Right. Just, it's just a different time of year. And um you know, I feel like we're always kind of underwhelmed with what ends up happening out yeah. of the winter meetings. But, um, you know, some of the rumor mill stuff about Atani and, and him deciding this week is, is kind of interesting and see if that'll be the big splash of the meetings. But, um, you know, I, I think a lot of this stuff will probably start dominoing after him and uh, we'll just kind of see what happens. Yeah. So from the player's perspective of, you know, even if it's not directly involved with you of, you know, am I signing with a team or, you know, am I going to get traded? Just being on a team that, you know, is one of the more active ball clubs most years. And uh, just as you mentioned, what Friedman said, it's three days where you're locked in on making your team better. How plugged in are you on things like this, you know, during this time of the year? Because, you know, during the trade deadline, you're you're in the throes of the season. Like, of course, you know, you're going to be paying attention to that as, as closely as possible because you're right. getting ready for your final push. Off season, you you also want to be a human and, you know, enjoy right. the, the off season. But these are also exciting times, right? New guys that could be joining your team and helping you make a push to, to go win another ring. Like, how do you how tapped in are you uh, during these these peak times where, you know, there's going to be a little bit more action? Yeah, I mean, you start, you know, probably a couple of weeks ago, you start texting your buddies that are that are free agents. Hey, have you heard anything? What are you looking at? Have we called you? Blah blah blah, stuff like that. And I don't know if that's tampering or whatever, but you know, I know major league guys ever really got in trouble for tampering. It's kind of an NBA thing, but uh, no, I mean, you just kind of want to hear what's going on. And I'm sure some guys couldn't care less, and they show up in spring training and, and play on the team with the guys they got, but. You know, I think I've just always been kind of interested in, in that side of of the game and, and trying to figure out what what GMs are thinking and how they're trying to navigate this thing and, and whatever. Um, you know, I've had a couple conversations with Andrew over the years, just like, hey, I really like this guy. I know him well. Or, you know, do you know anything about this guy, Walker? Like stuff like that. And um, I think that's pretty valuable, right, especially in a place that you have so many stars like we have in LA that like the egos and the personalities are, are kind of important. It, it's not all about just putting together like, you know, the MVP baseball auto draft league where you can trade everyone and get the best team. Right. It's not necessarily like that. You've got to have a group that wants to go and play together and, and ride on the planes together, and go to dinners and, and do all that kind of stuff. And so, you know, there's just a lot of variables that, that these guys are working with and, um, you, know, you just hope they have a, a good set of notes before they walk into those meetings, you know? You've got one of your dinner buddies back in Joe Kelly, and we're going to get to him a little bit later. I want to kind of roll through who has signed rapid fire at the end yep. and just like your first thought on that. But you mentioned yep. something really interesting about Otani this week. And I know that Otani's at the forefront of so many players' minds. And I, I brought this up because I found it fascinating, funny, but fascinating when it happened. Blue Jays were eliminated by Minnesota in the wildcard series. K 
Kevin Kiermeyer was asked about his approach to free agency. And he said, quote, I'm going to let Otani set the market and then maybe I'll let the cards fall after that regarding me. And we were like, what does Shohei Otani have to do with Kevin Kiermeyer? But then you right. think about the domino effect that stems from him. He's clearly the biggest name that I, we've got in the game, like worldwide. So after that domino falls, do you feel like he's kind of the Kickstarter for everything else? Yeah, I mean, I, I think if you're talking about a guy that's going to command, let's just say, even on the lowest end, 35 or 40 million, right? And up to whatever some of the reported stuff they're saying in the 50s or whatever. It, it is what it is. Obviously, I'm not a, hey, I'm not a scout or general manager. I'm also not a marketing person. And, and there's value on there's value everywhere with with him, right? But you think about whatever that commitment is, you're talking like, I don't even know what the, what the like spending limit is now or whatever we called it, but you're talking like a quarter of that, right? So if you're committing that for the next 10 years, like a quarter of what you can spend is committed. So, you know, whoever lands him, it, it's a little more difficult to go and spend the, the flyer $14 million veteran starting pitcher or, two for 15 on the center fielder. That's kind of a role play. Like it's just not as easy, right? It's like, you know, you buy the, you know, you're a multimillionaire and you buy like a $200,000 house. Like, yeah, you can go on vacation every year. Right. But if you go and buy the, the big boy house, like you can't be going to dinner every night out, yeah. you know, like it's, it's kind of that situation in, in terms of like a, I guess analogy of like normal human life. Like that's the way I kind of look at it, at it, I guess. But um, yeah, I just think it's such a big chunk that you're kind of everyone that's in on it is so they've had to shuffle so many cards to make that work financially that until, you know, you can't really commit so much to the other stuff yet. Yeah. And then the flip side of that, I guess, if you're a Kevin Kiermeyer, you know, and, and teams or just players of that, you know, level, once teams miss out on the Shohei Otanis and miss out on yeah. some of these other players and, and the, Hey, we really need a left-handed hitting outfielder that can go get it. Yeah. Like we'll pay a little bit extra for, for a Kiermaier. So yeah. it works you know, back in their favor the other way. So it is funny when you lay it out like that, it makes a ton of sense. But as Jack alluded to, like when we first heard that quote, we we're just like, okay, right. <laughs> like, all right. But then you really think about it and it makes sense because there's just like this complete domino effect of, of how teams can change their approach. But um, yeah, I, I'm I'm really fascinated by that number too, because of course, as players, you want to see the number get as high as possible. But did you ever, even when you first entered the game, imagine that we'd be talking about a half a billion dollar player like this soon in this sport? Yeah, I mean, I think you've kind of seen it coming in terms of the NFL and the quarterback contracts, right? And and what's happening for these hyper specialized players at the right positions in football, right? And and then you get to kind of this for lack of a better term, alien kind of player that does both and then does them both at, at $35 million a year levels, right? Like, yeah, that, like, if there was ever going to be a player, you know, nameless player, like, that's what it looks like, the guy that's going to get X amount of money. What I thought was interesting early in the offseason was him talking about taking a shorter deal. Mm -hmm. And I don't know obviously with his Tommy John and kind of reestablishing that other half of his market. Right. Like I understand that play. I also, it wouldn't shock me if, if that was some somehow 
a play to get short offers at high AVs. And then, so you get that three-year AAV of 50 million, and then you just have teams basically bidding years, right? Like that that's an interesting kind of technique, but you're starting with the the money per year as opposed to the years, which is kind of different than what we've seen in the past couple off seasons. You think of Bryce Harper and and kind of the the surprise at the terms of his deal when it happened, right? We all thought he was going to get 350, 400 million. And he really just wanted the years more or less, right? And and got a ton of years at, at less AAV than we thought, right? And and so I don't know if the way Otani and his his kind of management is handling that is is kind of contrarian to to what we've been seeing. But um, you know he's gonna he's gonna make a ton of money and and he deserves it. And if that's if they played it like that and it works out, it, it's a pretty savvy play. That's a really cool play and and shout out to Shohei. Congrats to him on on the money. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. We're at the holiday season and I know that for some people this can be a stressful time of the year. Are you setting a budget with your significant other to get gifts and maybe, you know, that budget seems a little tighter this year? Or family, are you are you getting a gift for that aunt that you typically didn't and you're at the point in your life where you feel like you need to? And do you focus on gifts or do you focus on enjoying the time together? Is it all about the camaraderie, that Christmas Eve dinner? If you're giving gifts or not, you can give a gift to yourself. The holidays are a great time to start doing that. That can be starting therapy. That can be going easier on yourself during the tough moments. That can also just be treating yourself to a total day of rest and relaxation. Holidays are hectic. There's so many car commercials. Give yourself some time to love yourself this holiday season. Therapy's been big for me 365 days a year, but I almost feel the heightened need during this month or two-month stretch. Not only is there pressure to deliver for others, but it also gets dark pretty early. I use therapy as a pick-me-up and a reminder that the flowers are going to bloom again and the sun is going to set a little bit later at some point. If you're thinking of joining me in starting therapy, you should give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online. It's designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited entirely to your schedule. All you got to do, fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. In the season of giving, give yourself what you need with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash JustBaseball, one word today, to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash JustBaseball. <laughs> Last thing on Otani, you know, I've had this conversation with a couple of guys, and notably Taylor Davis, who does some stuff for us, who, you know, he was with the Orioles in twenty at the alt site. And he kind of took Adley Rutschman under his wing and he talks about it with Adley. He says, Adley has the burden now to set the market for catchers. He's the best catcher that's going to sign the big deal next. And I think we see that every five, six years. I think he's forgetting about Will Smith, but that's another. Yes. Yes. But yeah. Will Smith going to sign a big deal soon. And Adley right. is probably going to look at Will Smith's deal and say, right. I want that. How do you value me compared to Will Smith? So right. it's on these guys. It's on the best of their position to reset the market and reset the standard for the deal. And I think, you know, Coles was crazy for starting pitchers, but you see guys every year kind of pushing the market further and further. And does Nola get this if Rodon didn't get it last year? It's kind of odd. So right. how do you see those contracts kind of stockpile on top of each other? Yeah, I mean, I, I think you look at anything that's, I guess, 
to use the word again, contrarian, right, or not kind of the same. Obviously, you know, we had a pitcher on our team that that took a really short deal at a huge AAV, and and you know, off the field stuff, it is what it is. Yep. Uh, but that deal changed the AAV that is kind of out there, right, for starting pitching, and and Cole definitely changed it, especially kind of where he was at the Rodon deal in terms of kind of his early career versus the two years before he, he signed were kind of drastically different and, and Gosman kind of the same thing. So you look at kind of, there's a little bit more of like, what have you done for me lately? As opposed to, you know, talking to Scherzer and, and Kirsch about their deals. It, it used to be a little bit more of like what you did and we'll pay, pay you for it now. Right. You know, pay you for what you did, not what you're going to do. And, um, you know, now you got to be really good. It, it's not about how good you were three years ago, four years ago. It's about your past two years and, and what kind of value you create. And, you know, obviously all these guys that are signing deals have, have created a lot of value for, for their teams or, or whoever their new teams are, they, they believe they're going to create a lot of value. And, and that's what the market is, is honestly based on. Right. So you mentioned some of those long-term deals, and, and I think that was where pitching was going for a little bit. Once the money yep. was starting to get crazy with pitching, you mentioned the Kirsch deal, Scherzer. Um, we saw some variations of that even a little bit further back. and uh, But we also saw some short-term high AV like a Roger Clemens at the end there, mm-hmm. where it was like, whoa, he's making that much, and people love to do the per pitch, per game, all that good stuff. Yep. But I feel like we've kind of seen it, as you mentioned, kind of go back towards some shorter amount of years, high AV. But then all of a sudden now we see Noah get these this this longer term deal at seven years. And we it's kind of a mixed bag now. Do you see it going one way or another? You know, obviously with the fragility of pitching, I'm sure teams are going to try to push it to go one yeah. way. And I think players are going to push it to go the other. Where do you kind of see pitcher contracts settling? Is it always going to be this mixed bag now moving forward? Or do you think it's kind of cyclical and goes back to longer term deals again? Yeah, I, I think you're looking now that the <clears> – <throat> Now that the money is, is in such a spot in terms of the AVs that are out there and, and what a number three starter makes versus what they used to make, right? Relatively, like you're just, you're seeing what guys like want out of their career, right? If they want to go play for a winning team, but that window's small and, and they can get a two or three year deal as opposed to that seven, eight year deal or, or whatever, you're also looking, you're talking more injuries now, pitching injuries. So the teams are a little bit more tentative. Uh, to give guys 10, 12 years, which, you know, happened on the position player side as well. Um, you know, the Pujol steal was was the big one that I remember being like, oh, he got that many years. Um, but now the position players are back to getting 10, 12, 13-year deals. So, you know, I think it's going to be kind of the pendulum. And, and I think at the end of the day, like, if a guy says go find me the most money per year, probably not going to be a 10-year contract right it's probably going to be two or three years and and some guys are good with that and want to reassess it every couple years and and some guys I think especially guys that are signing back with a team that they came up with are are a little bit more likely to sign the longer term you know Nola getting seven years I think is kind of evidence of that right and um, yeah I think I think the days of switching teams and getting 10-12 years if you're not Garrett Cole, if you're not Max Scherzer, like those are seemingly a little bit, you know, fewer and far between, but 
you know, it's, it's still out there for, for certain guys and, and a certain level of, of performance. And, you know, I think we'll see a big one with, with Shohei here coming up. That was a kick-ass transition. That was a podcasting masterclass from you talking <laughs> about Nola going longer. Um, Cause we are going to jump into the rapid fire here, but before that quick interjection, have you watched any Yoshinobu Yamamoto? What are your takeaways on, on that cat? If you've seen anything? Yeah, I, I have watched him. I obviously watched the classic. Everyone was talking about Sasaki at that time too. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I don't think specifically I've watched him a ton. I do think that this world baseball classic kind of put a lot of people on notice of, of kind of the talent in Japan right now is, is kind of crazy. I don't think it's kind of ever been as high level as, as today or this year. Just we've got what like six major got five or six major guys being posted, um, so that's just it's kind of different and, and kind of an outlier. And then you had Otani with his background from there. He's you know over here now, but you've got probably six of the top twenty free agents on the market that or twenty five whatever it is that all played for Team Japan, right? Like, and now they're all coming this year. It, it's kind of a, a cool, cool time. The one thing on Yamamoto that I wanted to ask you specifically about, because, you know, going back to the regular season, we were, excuse me, nerding out about some of these, uh, you know, pitch shapes and you were breaking things down and and so much, you know, detail that was so much fun for us. Um, And the one thing that stands out to me with Yamamoto is he's got a release height of like 5.5 feet and, you know, runs that up to 95 and and gets about 17, 18 inches of vert from that release point. like. How can you contextualize how how unique that is and like how hard that can be for for a pitcher? Because you know I, I think it's really fascinating how some of these guys come over from the NPB and you know they're just able to do some things with their release and and do some things with the pitch shape that you know I know the ball is a little bit different, but we saw them throw regular balls that just some guys we don't see do very often over here, and it's just the unique you know differences uh, with some yep. of these pitchers. Yeah, I mean you talk about you know kind of the horror stories is not the right word, but the the legends of like the practices over there and the length of bullpens when they're kids and stuff like that. And, you know, I think every, every guy that I've played with, whether it be Korean or Japanese, Hunjin Ryu and Maeda and, and those guys, like they all can manipulate the ball in a way that is really high level. I, I don't want to say that it's not something people do here. Right. I don't think it's drastically different, but every guy over there can manipulate the ball in a couple of different ways. And, mm-hmm. And you've got to think the consistency of the ability to do that comes in part from kind of these, you know, marathon throwing sessions for years and years and years. And, um, you know, I think it's like a, a golfer kind of hitting a bunch of chip shots over and over and over or going to the weight room, right? Like they're going to be really good at chipping. It's just a matter of if the strength is there or if the velocity is there or whatever, however you want to say it. it but, they all are, are really, really skilled at, at what they do. All right. We're going to end with some rapid fire. I've got every really notable deal that's been inked so far. Um, I want one to two sentences, your <laughs> thoughts on how the fit is, what you know yep. about that guy, um, what you think about uh, the number and the years. Arm, if you've got any follow-ups, you, you interject, man. Cool. Sure. Let's start me- with. Let's start with the big fish. Uh, Nola, seven years, 172, back to Philly. Apparently had more lucrative deals on the table elsewhere. Hometown discount, I guess? Uh, yeah, I mean, he's, he signed the extension there previously, too. So uh, he obviously enjoys Philadelphia. I don't think 
anyone was super surprised. I think we would have been surprised had he gone somewhere else, but um, I've known Aaron for a long time. I, you know, I'm really happy for him. I would love to play with him, but um, doesn't look like that one's going to happen. Got you. Next one, Sonny Gray, a guy that you know really well. Cashed yeah. in, man. This was like the best one to see come across the ticker. Three years for 75 with St. Louis. Yeah. He said in his you know press conference after the fact that St. Louis was the place that he wanted to be from the jump. Yeah. That was the number one destination, and he got that at, at really solid money too. Yeah, uh, I mean, the rumor was was Cincinnati was second as well, where he's been before, and, and with DJ, um, his college pitching coach. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I think Sonny Gray in St. Louis makes a lot of sense. Obviously, happy for him, he got that kind of money. And, um, you know, I, I think he kind of fits a lot of what they do there, right? It's going to be really dependable. There's going to be really, really good years and, and not as good. And, um, yeah, I'm happy for him. My my one question there is is you know you, we've talked about the the Cardinals uh, you know maybe not addressing the pitching as much and now all of a sudden we see them really eager to do so um, with, with what Sonny did you know and and just to see a guy do it on the other side of thirty and it's not like he just turned thirty you know right. he, he you know a couple years past that how how confident would you be if you're on the other side of that just seeing what Sonny figured out last year that this is something that he can continue to build on yeah I mean I I think you watch him throw and and kind of if you follow his career at all, you understand how athletic Sonny is and and how like naturally gifted he is. And and the fact that there was 98 in there at one point and now it's 92, 95, like still 92, 95, and it's still a weird angle and it's still spun really well and the breaking balls and kind of the creativity that he's kind of learned over the years with the two seamer and the backdoor stuff. I, you know, I think, I think he's always kind of been him, but he's kind of reinvented himself in, in some ways. And, and he's always seemingly made the adjustment that wasn't too big, but like enough at the right time. And, um, you know, he's, he's one of my favorite people to watch and, um, yeah, I, I, it, it all makes sense. I, I thought he would either go to St. Louis or Atlanta or mm -hmm. kind of my two guesses. I would have loved to have him in LA too. I've, I've tried to, um, uh, get that thing done at the deadline a bunch of times and, and, <laughs> never seems to uh to go my way but i guess it's a little bit above my pay grade too yes um clumping the next two together lance lynn one year for 11 kyle yep. gibson one year for 13 i know you you really liked having lance lynn in la and i know that a lot of dodgers people really liked having lance lynn in la you, you mentioned the word dependability with sunny yep. going to st louis they just got dependability out the ass it seems yep. with lynn and kyle gibson yeah, you know, I think those three guys plugging into to that organization, they all like individually make sense. And and then as a conglomerate, you have however many innings you want to say, say it's five or five hundred innings you probably bought. And and to do that at fifty million or whatever, like, you know, combined, I guess, like it makes a lot of sense. I don't necessarily know if they're done done. Like I think they could sneaky try and get a Blake Snell kind of or go get Yamamoto or something like that. I don't necessarily think they will, but I think if you, if they had those three guys targeted, targeted before the season and got them all quick, I think it could kind of change the way you're looking at it. Like, Oh, well, you know, we're going to be good. We have these, you know, veteran guys and some younger guys. If we go and get a superstar, maybe we can be really, really good. So um, kind of uncardinal way-ish, but it wouldn't yeah. shock me if they kind of took one more step.
It seems like they're active on the trade front too, with the glass now with the Dylan Cease, you know, probably yeah. not Burns because it's in division, but they they seem they always seem to come up with those right. guys. Uh Kent Maeda, two years 24 with Detroit. That was yep. fascinating because Detroit needed some sort of veteran front man, especially with Erod opting out. He's on the open market still. What do you think of Maeda, especially a guy that you've played with mm-hmm. and coming off of TJ, what, a year and a half ago? He threw 100 innings this year. Yeah. Uh, I mean, obviously, it was good to see Kenta back and, and kind of back to himself. He's also a guy that, like, at this point in his career, like two years is seemingly about right. And, um, you know, Detroit's got some good young players and, and some really talented arms over there. I know Scooball's, you know, really, really fun to watch. And, um, yeah, I mean, it, it makes sense. I, I think nobody really, you know, in the past five, 10 years kind of sits and thinks like, oh, Detroit's going to go sign a guy, right? It, it just hasn't felt that way. But, you know, I think incentivizing these teams to spend some money is is great. And, and you know, I think for them, there's some sort of flyer element because Penta can be really, really, really good. And, yeah. You know, he had that run. I forget what year with us where it was he was one of the top five pitchers in baseball for a couple months when he started really throwing that change up a lot and, and was throwing sliders off of that. So, um, you know, I, I think it makes a lot of sense. My my one follow up is is like loosely related to Kenta Maeda because I, I thought he had some really good stretches and I actually got some pushback from some of our listeners on that when I said I thought he looked really sharp at times. I am also very guilty of doing the if you take out this start, his numbers were this. Right. But I do think that it's important to do that when you're looking at guys that are coming back off an injury and just seeing what they could be capable yep. of. I'd love your thoughts on that like approach to things because like with Maeda specifically, he had one outing I think right before. Uh, right before they sent him to triple A to kind of work on some things after he was coming off the injury uh, where he gave up 10 earned runs to the Yankees. And then if you eliminate that outing, he had a three, three, nine, you know, right. pretty much the rest of the way or three, three, six, actually the rest of the way with 29% strikeout rate, 7% walk rate in 88 yeah. innings. What's your thoughts on the, like, you could take that one thing out, like, and, and approaching it that way. Cause then people always say like, Oh, if you take the bad thing out, then he's good. Yeah. But I do think that it makes sense in some contexts. Like yeah. I mean, you know, I don't obviously wasn't in the clubhouse with him, right? But if if the elbow's not right at that point, or there's it's bugging him, or he didn't bounce back good, or whatever, there's obviously like some reasons behind things. It's not like we don't always just go out and like just get waffled, right? Like sometimes there are yeah. things that are happening. But you know, I'm also one of those people. It's very much like if I take the ball, if I step on the mound, like I'm I'm well, yeah, I'm inheriting like the responsibility for what happens, right? And so. Um, I think, you know, the idea of taking that one out and, and where he is, like, it's a very good gauge of kind of where he's at performance wise. Right. But, um, you know, I think, as we said, like that one for 12 or two for 24 is kind of that seemingly new, like flyer area. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, I, I think numbers like that or, or stats like that are, um, kind of indicative of this analytical stuff or, or taking a flyer based on on having a reason, right? Just not not just signing the name, but but having something to back it up. So um, I think that makes sense. Volatility was kind of the name of the game the last couple of years for Luis Severino. One, year's yep. 13, one year, 13 mil with the Mets. This was an interesting one. And my immediate reaction was that's cheap and only one year for Seve because we know what's in the tank. With those kind of guys, 
you know, like what's your thought process when it comes to somebody who has that much ability, but just hasn't really been able to put together about 120 innings in several years? Yeah. I mean, I think you look at it kind of in the same breath as like the deal that Bellinger took last year. Right. In, yeah. in that kind of reset it, push, push myself a year, try and kind of get back to who I am. And, you know, I remember a few years ago, he's and, and even still, he's probably one of the more explosive arms that, that we had. It was him and Jose Fernandez was like, Oh my, like these two guys that like, could be the next two. And, um, you know, it just hasn't clicked in a few years, but you know, injuries are hard, man. And, and not being exactly the same guy that you were right before you got hurt is, is tough. And, and, you know, he's kind of reinvented himself a lot of change-ups now as opposed to the slider that he used to throw. But, um, yeah, I mean, we'll see what happens in New York. You know, I guess the other New York now. Yeah. yeah. My my only follow-up without going on a full, you know, specific breakdown, let's say, on on somebody like Severino, just a, a little bit of it. You mentioned kind of just adjusting the way that, that he's attacking hitters based on, you know, where his stuff is at now. Um, but one of the things I noticed is like release height kind of higher, you know, and in, in tandem with that, like a little bit less, you know, induced vertical break and some right. little things like that. And then we talk about the velocity. Is it more likely to to regain success by, you know, finding some of that that jump or pitch shape or things that you had uh, before some of those injuries? Or is it maybe more likely to reinvent yourself a, in a different way and find, you know, a way to be effective that way? Yeah, I mean, I think it's a little bit of both, right? When you get hurt, there is a period where it's kind of just like throw to where it doesn't hurt, right? And then you kind of can get back into the tinkering and, and stuff like that. But um, yeah, it'd probably be a good, it'll probably be a good reset for him. And, um, you know, it's not like he's going to too much easier of a media town, right? He's not even leaving the city, but, um, you know, they'll, they'll have different expectations of him yeah. in that New York just because he, he never – has played there before, right? Every time a Yankees fan watches him pitch, they they expect him to be the guy he was in whatever, 2017, 18. And, you know, I, I think having watched Belly deal with that, I think it, it's probably an underrated thing in terms of being unbelievable, then struggling with that same team and kind of the value that you can find and kind of going somewhere where the expectations are, are new, right? Yeah, different media borough, which might help. Uh, yeah. Three more last non-Dodger. Nick Martinez, two years, 26 with the Cincinnati Reds. This is a guy that you've seen a lot of, I'm sure, over mm -hmm. the last couple of years. And he was a swingman in San Diego. The Reds were kind of starved of starting pitching at points this year. It kind of feels like he just signed as a starting pitcher and not a swingman. Yeah. But what do you like about Nick Martinez when, when you've seen him throw for San Diego recently? Yeah, he throws strikes. He competes. He, it's it's kind of the other way to take the flyer, right? Is, is the ceiling might not be as crazy as, as Kenta maybe because Kenta can really go on those stretches, but yeah. Um, yeah, Martinez has had some, some good, good and some bad in there. And um, you know, I think with the young arms that they have there, especially kind of the, the volatility of them in terms of injury and, and stuff like that, that they've dealt with, with Hunter and with Lodolo and, and the other lefty, it, you know, it makes sense to kind of have the, the stable guy, right. And and I think he he fits that bill. So I, I just had one follow up because of Walker kind of talking about in the past, just the 
how uncomfortable it was going out of the bullpen, being that wasn't something that you did a ton of really ever before, uh, the, the small time you ever had to do that. But what stands out with Martinez is, yeah, they used him as a swing man, and, uh, but he has historically started more ball games. And uh, this past season, he was much better as a starter. 42 and two-thirds innings as a starter, a 2-3-2 ERA in relief. 67 and two thirds innings, a 4-1-2 ERA. Uh, like, I know it's different for each guy, but it, how much different can it be for a guy as a starter? Because I mean, that's a harder job, right? You got to turn lineups over. Those are about four or five inning outings a start, and he was much more effective. How are guys more effective sometimes when they got to go through a lineup two, three times than just shutting down, you know, a lineup maybe not even one time through? Yeah, I mean, I think it's. I think part of it for me was always you know, if I had to make an excuse, right. It was always that like, when you come out of the bullpen, everyone's like game hot, right? Like their eyes are adjusted. They're in the game. They've seen eight, 10, 12, 15 pitches. Like, you know, you, you feel like the first fastball you throw a guy, like they're going to have to figure it out. Like, it, and so you kind of feel like you get this like one free throw. Right. And and for some guys that's super important. And, and, you know, obviously my career will tell you that, that that's been important for me, right? But um, no, and then I think it's the ownership portion of it, right? When you when you know that on the box score, it's your game, right? There's mm-hmm. there's something to that. And, and then I guess the, the link off of that is that every pitch that every hitter seen, like you've thrown. It's not like, you know, you're surprised that he had a homer on something and then you throw it there again and it's a homer off you. Like, you know what every you know everything that's happened and um i just they're just a different it's just a different job man yeah, yeah. two more both dodgers jason hayward made about 21 million dollars last year from the chicago cups he made the uh-huh. league minimum from the la dodgers he made seven hundred and twenty thousand dollars. he yep. more than nine x's that with a one-year nine million dollar deal right his redemption arc in 2023 was one of the best stories in baseball I've heard he's a great guy. Uh, How much interaction did you have with him and how excited are you to see him back in Dodger blue? Yeah. I mean, I I texted him. I was like, happy to, I'm, I'm excited to actually get to play with you. So, uh, you know, we had some interaction just when I was in LA kind of in and out, but um, you know, heard nothing but great things about, about him and and how he is in the clubhouse. And um, you know, obviously on the field, it it was a different thing this year than it had been. but I think we also kind of forget how how much expectation was put on him for for a long time. There was a lot of people saying he was the next King Griffey Jr. and all this stuff when he came up. And, you know, he's had a, a really, really impressive career and, and long career, um, been a part of really good teams and, and turning around the Cubs. And, you know, I think that Cubs team, the more you think about it, like they had a lot of guys that, that kind of all over the league are, are known as great clubhouse guys, and they had them all on one team. And, um, you know, we talked about like coaching trees and stuff. I, I guess the Cubs were kind of like the, the clubhouse leader tree team. You know, they, everybody talks about Schwarber and, and Rizzo and him and, um, you know, David Ross being the manager there for a while. You can just see kind of the chemistry they had there and, and um, getting to know, getting to know Jason, it, that, that makes a lot of sense. Do you think it was the, you know, you talk about the expectations this is a perfect example of it being like, Hey, fresh start. You're playing with house money yeah. at this point, just play loose. But obviously there were some mechanical adjustments to the swing, things like that. But what do you think 
was the biggest reason why Hayward was able to do this? And, and just how cool was it to see a guy at 33 where I think a lot of people were thinking his career might be done to, you know, have this kind of resurgence. It's, it's, it got to always be cool when you're watching somebody a few years ahead of you, you know, yeah. and, and being able to buy themselves even more years when it looked pretty dark at some points. Yeah. I mean, I, I think probably the, the consensus that people don't really understand is that like Jason's been playing the big leagues for a long, long time. Like, like he, it feels like he should be like in his late thirties. He's thirty-three years old, and he's a big, athletic, strong human that that still knows what he's doing, and and has taken a you know million at bats in the big leagues. Like, I think a lot of the mechanical stuff was just getting some parts of his body out of the way, or or whatever, getting a habit out of there this way, and and kind of letting him be him. I, I don't, I don't really see him as like a, you know, he didn't come to us and we like recreate him. I, I think yeah. we just like got him back to being who he is. And, and, you know, I think he probably could have gotten more money elsewhere, but I think it's a two two sided, you know, deal where, you know, I think in some way our coaching staff did help him kind of get back to that. And, and, you know, if, if I was him, I probably wouldn't go anywhere either. If, if I found something with these coaches and, and, you know, I guess the proof was, was kind of in the pudding with that. Yeah maybe best for last your guys back how many uh how many bar fights are you going to get into this year with joe <laughs> kelly hopefully no bar fights but i am i am very excited for for joe to be back you know when we got him trade over i was fired up and um yeah i'm excited good love it that's it yeah good job was, on the rapid fire man yeah, yeah. that was good we ran that long i gotta go i'm going to see jack harlow tonight Ooh, okay. In Lexington, enemy territory. Oh, yeah. We've held you for an hour. Walker Bueller, appreciate you, man. Enjoy Jack Harlow. All right, guys. See you. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place by working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies, we keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success.